Hello listeners, this is Sam Collier here. So just a heads up, we recorded this episode on March 15th, a little over a week ago, and we are aware that situation around the pandemic has changed rapidly. So we just want to acknowledge um, that we are not talking about the pandemic in this episode, but we encourage you to check in with our previous episode, which is looking at the coronavirus and the effect on theaters um, and plays about diseases in general. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. And today's play that we'll be discussing is Ching Chong Chinaman by Lauren Yee. Uh, it's part of our monthly play discussion. Um, and we're really excited to talk about this play. So this play, if you have not read it, here's a little short summary. The play is about the ultra-assimilated Wang family is as Chinese American as apple pie. Teenager Upton dreams of World of Warcraft super stardom. His sister Desi dreams of early mission to Princeton. Unfortunately, Upton's chores and home again the way of his 24-7 video gaming, and Desi's <laughs> meth grades don't fit the Asian American stereotype. Then Upton comes up with a novel solution for both problems. He acquires a Chinese indentured servant who harbors an American dream of his own. That is the summary of the play. If you have not read the play, I hope that summary suffice. <laughs> yes, and I hope also that it inspires you to go out and read it. Yeah. Uh, wow. So immediately, I was as I was reading that summary out loud, I was like, whoa, this is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> really? Reading the summary made you feel that way, but not reading the play itself? Yeah, I don't know. The summary itself was very weird to me. Uh, I mean, I mean... It the summary obviously summarizes what the whole play was a. It it what the summary that's this is what it was here. The summary of the play told me what the play is, but not really what it's about. Ah, <laughs> I don't know. If that makes sense. Yeah, I was, I was reading out loud. I was like, "Well, this is a very weird summary," <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was like, "I hope this summary itself isn't offensive." Um, can you? Okay, I'm really curious about that. So, can you say? what you felt the play itself was about and how that and how your understanding of it was different from what this summary captures because I agree I think this summary kind of says like what happens but it doesn't really say what the play does yeah. to, to an audience emotionally and psychologically I'm still grappling with it because I think I think what the play was about is this group of family that that really tries to separate their I don't know how I don't know how to say it's like Asianness or mm. and really 
try to separate that identity and being like, we're all, we're really American. We're not this, but this play delves into it, it's comedy was this, that, that attitude and how faulty that attitude is mm-hmm. like it's all fallacy about that. So, and then it sort of dies into this, like it heightens in ways. I was like, well, I didn't know that there were so many turns in this play. I was like, I didn't know that it would go there. Like, I didn't know Desi would take like a an ancestry test and they find out they're actually Mexican. Like, it was oh my like, gosh, that was just, it was just like wild. I, I was like, it just took me to a place. <laughs> I was like, that's what it gave me. That's like, my, my mind was just like, yeah, like what is identity? Like that person, right. they're Chinese, but if they were born and raised in Mexico, yeah, are they Mexican? They're they're Chinese and Mexican. And, you know, I was like, well, my, it, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it does. It asks all these questions about what makes us who we are or who we think we are, and and where does identity come from? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I guess we could move on to like, what did we notice? What did you notice about this play when you first? read it well and we were saying this before we started recording um when i was reading this play it really took me back to like 2008 2009 and the kinds of plays i was seeing then and i don't i can't really put my finger necessarily on one thing that made me feel that way but i just noticed that it felt like it felt like a play of that I mean it sounds so silly to say era because that was only 10 years ago or 12 years ago but um there's something I guess there's something about the structure of it with with these very short scenes um almost episodic and also the, the kind of humor in the play and um even maybe something about the tone and the style of it really, it really seemed different from the kinds of plays we're seeing now. And maybe that's because it's like a pre Trump era play, you know, or maybe it's because it's, it's pre um, the, I mean, of course there was social media at the time, but it, it really feels like 10 years later, we have a totally different culture than we did in 2008, 2009. Mm. And, and, and that I, I don't think about that very often until I read a play like this, um, that kind of drives that home. Mm -hmm. I know I'm being very abstract and vague because I'm still kind of trying to figure out what it is that feels like Mm -hmm. a 2008 play. Well, when you said tone, I, I was so curious what your thoughts on the tone was. Well, I mean, I think what's so interesting about this is it's it's capturing a lot of stereotypes um, in a way that is both kind of um, sarcastic and also mm. pointed and also um, funny. And, and I was very aware reading this that, um, you know, there's a level at which I probably am missing a lot of the humor or, or or at least that like I'm not necessarily the target audience for this play um, and that there must be layers to it that I'm not picking up on. 
Um, so, so I want to acknowledge that, but I also just feel like there's, there's a comfort in this play with, you know, possibly offending people or, or a comfort with the ambiguity of an audience not knowing necessarily what a moment is supposed to mean or how mm. we're supposed to interpret it. Like, and, and I, I don't, I think that's the kind of thing that I don't see in plays a lot right now where a playwright is comfortable putting a moment out there that is ambiguous or could be read in lots of different ways. Yeah. Yes. There, with this play, there's definitely uh, this experimentation with how I, it, it's risky. Like the play. Risky. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's taking these stereotypes that we all kind of know and we, and the Lauren Yee, she sort of plays with those stereotypes and like puts it right in front of us, you know, like here's what it is and here's what I'm going to do with it. And interpret whatever you like now mm -hmm. i think that attitude like interpret it whatever you like now that is sort of like ever now the playwright in 2020 is like you know i have to make it clear and precise that yeah. that's not what this play is about <laughs> you know There's yeah like, it's like this too um i i'll say this like at the end i it's not that i was like i the play didn't offend me at all or anything it was like like, I wasn't like, wow, like, this is the most offensive play in the world. And I don't like being Asian anymore. Like, it didn't, it didn't, make, me, it didn't make me feel that way or anything. If anything, I was just like, wow, she's very critical. Like, she's very, um, like, this play is just, it's its own, like, it's, I can't, like, a beast of something. <laughs> like, that is just kind of, um, mm-hmm that is very fearless in a way that it was just like, I'm, you know, I'm going to present it in this own way. I, yeah, I, I'm trying to think like, what, what specific moments did you feel like, Ooh, this is not, would this be kind of weird today? Or. I don't even know if it would be weird today. I just um, yeah. I just felt like, for example, the World of Warcraft scenes, um, mm -hmm. when Upton is playing, you know, and saying that, you know, in the U.S. we don't really have this kind of um, gaming culture where, where people watch a handful of people playing games. Of course, that is not true anymore, right? Um, but, it, but it wasn't so much like that as it was... I think gaming is still like very popular today. That, I just no, that's, that's what post. I was saying. Oh, I was okay, saying okay. it is more popular in the U.S. now. Um, yeah. Whereas in the play, it seems like a, a oh. much more of a, a like small, an Asian thing, <laughs> like, or not even that. Like I don't know if in two thousand nine there there was this culture yet in the U.S. Mm. of like huge numbers of people just watching somebody else play a game. Mm. Like he talks about how that's a thing. Um, in Korea, but not in the U.S. And I think in 2020, it's totally a thing in the U.S. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I It's a worldwide. There's like a whole cable network that's just all about right. like watching another person playing video games for sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. So so there were like little things like that where, where it really hit home how long ago <laughs> 2008 was. But I don't know, even more than that, honestly, maybe – Maybe what comes to mind is that there was a kind of innocence um, mm. in this country before, maybe, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going out on a limb here, but I just feel like the last three years of the Trump presidency have totally changed our humor and the way we talk about identity and the way we talk about um our responsibility to each other and yeah again I'm just I'm having a really hard time putting my finger on it I, I don't know if there was a particular moment that I can point to yeah because like the mechanics of the play is just how everything and maybe it's within those short episodic scenes we're talking about Mm-hmm. how much it compact like a lot of information in those scenes and the yes. way it was weaving in through so it like if I was to take all of Upton's his storyline with him wanting to be you know competing in World of Warcraft uh, his sister thinks he's kind of useless <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. and his sister's her whole journey oh you know there was that one scene um where in the beginning she's writing, she's trying to write uh, her essay for her yes. college. Oh my gosh! And she, yes. she like the the Korean girl adoptee, like kind of like narrates. And there was like a moment where she was like slaps her, like no, like you're wrong. Like there's this like the the I was like woo, it was like there was yeah. this weird violence there that was like oh wow, I don't know if I'm. Like, oh, I don't know if it's because it's 2020 or if it's, like... But then at the end of that scene, she's, like, embraces and hugs her, which is, right. like, completely changed. But, like, in that moment. um, So I don't know if it's, like, that moment. Like, what does that... If something like that, we're thinking open to interpretation today. <laughs> like, mm. what? how would people feel about that moment? Desi's character to me was the most fascinating character because she, mm-hmm. on the one hand, you know, she, she so wants to have the right philosophy and the right moral code, you know, and she's, um, she's all about like saying that she believes the things that she thinks she's supposed to believe and she's vegan, you know, and she's, she's always instructing people on how they should behave. Um, but, but then she herself is completely exploiting, um, the, the people that she can exploit and, and she's kind of shameless and unafraid to do that, um, in her quest to get into Princeton. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, I mean, in a way, they all have, of course, inconsistencies and hypocrisies, but she's like the most visible in that. My favorite moment, yeah, of Upton when she um, was talking to the the alum, the college admission, mm-hmm. um, and then there was this conversation about Joy Luck Club, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that moment for me, I was just like, I feel like that moment I was like, oh, I could relate to this moment. I feel like every Asian person had a Joy Luck Club moment or something. Like, really? Have you seen that movie? And then, oh my God, <laughs> I think that our family went through, or like our, the, the, the being a, you know, a second generation or, you know, like this whole like attitude. I just remember watching Joy Luck Club for the first time and I'm being like this, like, wow, my mom went through a lot so I could be here today, like, or something, you know, or like my grandmother sacrificed so much. Like, there's something about that. I was like, kind of laughing. It's kind of funny. I was like, I'm like, does, I wonder if Asian, every Asian American person goes to have this moment, maybe w- w- uh, women specifically. Like, I wonder if like, mm. do they all have a Joy Club moment too? Like, <laughs> I was like, because every, that conversation, I was like, that, I took it really personal because I was like, man, I remember that. I was in college. I was like 18, 19 years old and having that realization for the first time, like the impact of my family's journey to come to America. Like, whoa, like they went through a lot. (laughs) Well, and what I think what's so interesting about that scene is that the dad, Ed, is totally uninterested in having a conversation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So so what did you think about that aspect of it, that the daughter – really wants to I mean like I think there's this one part where she she's like did anybody die in our family and he's like um yeah but and then she says you know did they die in a significant way you know like trying to find the suffering and he yeah it it's so yeah I it's so interesting because I could see her both of them they what they're both the way they embrace their identity is really weird. Like the father is pretty much wanting to reject any kind of like Asianness or about it, you know, because they're like we're you know we're Americans, you know, we're more American than anything else, probably, you know. They're like kind of there's this attitude that he sort of ignores, and she is kind of like trying to because she wants to get into Princeton is trying to use right. their identity right. To, for her own gain so it yeah it that's such an interesting criticism of like the playing with the value of our identity like sometimes we'll just kind of half-heartedly throw it out the window like it doesn't mean nothing or people want to like use it (laughs) um Mm -hmm. so i thought that was interesting but then it's so funny that when that play goes there being uh mexican they're chinese mexican mm-hmm. and i know i thought that was really interesting there. yeah yeah i'd really love to see a production of this yeah me too that's what i was kept thinking like i wonder how the performers would play up or down the humor you mm-hmm. know I was like that's what i, I was like because in my brain, you know, I, in my mind, folks, listeners, my mind, it's all caps. Like, all the words I see in my mind is always all caps. Like, I'm always <laughs> screaming in my mind and yelling in my mind. <laughs> my plans will all be all caps. Like, all I see in the world is all caps. So, oh my gosh, so, that's so I, when I'm, so every time I read, like, I will just take it to the extreme. Like, I would want to take the play <laughs> to the extreme. And I don't think... I will if I do that, it will miss the nuances <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, but that's just the way I see the world is all caps. 
I think you should write a play sometime that's all in whispers. Just to see how it goes. Oh my god. <laughs> As a playwright, if I watched this play of my own, it's all in whispers, I'd be like, what did you say? Like, I'd just scream <laughs> in the back, be louder. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, what about Grace? We haven't talked much about the mom. Oh, the mom. Yeah. I I thought she was really interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I, yeah, I, it's like, I, it was interesting how the family treated her. <laughs> it was kind of sad. They almost like ignore her and she's kind of yeah. passive up until she meets, um, Ching Chong. Mm-hmm. I think that's how they pronounced it. Or Jay. Um, and then, and I guess they have, they develop some interesting relationship and. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read you a line she says to him. Okay. So the, cause I think this really captures her character. So she said, so he asks her, what do you want to do? And she says, oh, well, I've got everything I want. A house, a husband, children. No one asks me for anything. I don't have to do anything. I just sit around all day bored. It's wonderful. What do you make of that? I, it's funny because I'm like, I don't, yeah, she says this, but I'm like, I don't believe it because right. in the scenes where she's alone, um, that boredom just seems like she's in a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it, and I think that's somewhere about the comedy sometimes you can kind of play with is contradictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I was like, I I see this like this character wanting more than this her current life situation mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think she does because she starts tap dancing dancing yeah with, I love the tap dancing yeah scene mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. I really love all the scenes with Ching Chong and his mom. Then, then oh my the gosh, me too. Operator. Yeah, that's another way in which because isn't he using a landline? Yeah. I was like, oh my god, this was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love those scenes too. What do you think his role was, Jay or Ching Chong, in this hmm. whole? Like the way he first was introduced, and then he kind of there's something about him that made me think of like a little bit of Parasite, the movie Parasite, where this family sort of comes into this wealthy family and sort of like tries to take over. Mm-hmm. Or actually, I still have to see that. I haven't seen it yet. But it was this one character, like he he comes, he's being used. You know, he's like having he's like he has to take all this does all the calculus homework. He's not very good at calculus because just, you know, and he's doing all this, but he has his own like dream of being on this like next top dancing competition show. (laughs) Um, Well, everybody underestimates him, right? I mean, there's a way in which all the other characters see him as like almost like a blank slate on which to paint their own ambitions uh, or ideology um 
so like Ed teaches him golf and yeah, Captain and Desi, you know, use him to do their homework. Um, but meanwhile, and even Grace, you know, she's like putting all of her unfulfilled desires onto him. Um, so I guess, so dramatically speaking, I guess he is a way of um, showing who all these people are. But at the same time, he, from his perspective, he's, you know, he's using them to get to where he wants to be. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. what. How did you see his role in the play? Like, what do you think about who he I is? There's some things you said that it, I agreed with. Like, I... the each member of the family sort of putting their own personal politics on him. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, what was so funny, I think what was funny to me about this guy is that he has no interest. Like he doesn't care. He, he's right. like, he wants to make it onto this dance competition and he has one goal and it's like, and then, and he wants to make his mom proud. <laughs> right. Um, which in itself is like, I think, any immigrant stories like that American dream is like I come I came to the U.S. or to another country because I want something to prove I want to achieve something here, um, you know. And so I just saw something about that like his own story, mm -hmm. and it's kind of sad. It was satisfying that I was like, oh yeah, he got it. <laughs> like, yeah, to kind of. Now he got like now you could get away from this family. Get out I of love here. how the the kids are like, oh my gosh, he's so good at math. And then when he's talking to his mom, she's like, You're not even that good at math. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's it, it, it's that family is putting their own assumptions and stereotypes right. on another person that's like that this is not even true. I'm I'm a really good tap dancer though. <laughs> right. Um, right. Like it, it it there I think that danger is like how they don't want to get to know him, except the mom. And the mom starts to get to try to know, get to know him, but everyone else is sort of just wanting to use him or just like, you know, has no interest in his own personal endeavors or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is what this is. This is why when we went back to the summary. It was like, I this play is so complex. Like it's, it has all these like moments, all these scenes and it's weaving together to try to say something or it's trying to, um, have this commentary. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, I see beginning, middle, end, but it doesn't really, it's not your traditional narrative beginning, middle, end. It's Right. It feels like kind of beginning, middle, middle. I don't know, in a way. It's like, That's interesting, um, yeah. Because it leaves a lot of things ultimately ambiguous mm -hmm. at the end. I really like Lauren Yee's approach to dialogue and character and I definitely want to read more plays by her mm -hmm. 
I mean, it, and it's, I think it, part of what makes it so funny is just the way this family talks to each other and the things that they, the ways that they push each other, each other's buttons and, um, the ways that they like, I don't know, call each other out. Mm-hmm. I just had, yeah, I enjoyed all the kind of family dynamics for yeah. sure. Yeah, me too. Sarah, did this make, did reading this play give you any ideas for what you want to write about or inspire you dramaturgically? Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it it opened my mind of like, if you want to take on the challenge of writing an Asian, Asian American story, like, here's what you can do and and how uh the things i've done in the past was like kind of crazy <laughs> <laughs> how, how it's like it opened my like oh here's a way a successful way of doing it and here's <laughs> the, it could also go really wrong if you don't do it successfully or, or just riskier even riskier, riskier um uh <laughs> yeah but yeah um no i mean if anything i mean i i, I it made me want to go back to these like very sh- writing these short scenes yeah like yeah. i was like yeah i feel like why am i writing like like 30 i'm like i've been doing like just writing a 30 page scene basically one act Whoa. Like, i've been doing that just recently i don't, I don't know why cool. i'm like, it's it's but it's so hard to like break them up and I'm like what's going on here? <laughs> I think trying to writing in short scenes and I think because I'm I've been so used to writing sketches, you know, like that I'm like oh maybe it could be a better fit that could bring all the like in these short scenes like well be quicker and funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, well, and there were a lot of moments scattered throughout the play where um that were more presentational or. You know, like Upton would be talking about how nobody took him seriously. And then there was this little kind of series of his family members poking their heads in and saying things that represent their, you know, ongoing Mm. dismissiveness of him. And so and so one of the things that I found really delightful in the play was how she switched back and forth, even within a scene from this the us being in the story to one of the characters like addressing the audience or yeah um kind of pulling out of the story to switch into a different style and then going back into the story and and I really enjoyed that and um mm. want to bring that into my work more I think um like making it feel like not every scene is the same or something like mm. that like yeah because yeah well, and right. also that right. you kind of mm-hmm. yeah and like the moments with the photographs and um that that there's so much you can do in a play on stage that we forget about or we aren't aware of until somebody reminds us yeah it's possible. 
I think you're right about that. It does that there's there's ways to there are different ways to being theatrical for sure. Yeah. That it doesn't have to be this like separation between what's happening on the stage and the audience, you know. Yeah. It, it's okay to address the audience. It's okay to like break that fourth wall. Um yeah, I that's why I feel like the play moved so fast. I was like, why is it yeah, like I know. I know it's like 70 pages here, but it feels so it's moving really fast, a lot faster than I thought it would. Listeners. Well, listeners, we want to hear from you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I totally interrupted. <laughs> you. No, no, you, you were saying exactly what I was saying. Well, listeners, we want to hear you, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, tell us what you think about this play and Lauren Yee's other work, if you've read it or seen it. Um, just a, I just had a random thought because we had a listener comment like, how could we get a copy of this? I know we want to support playwrights. And I was just thinking, you know what? If we want to do some kind of mail exchange, like I could pass my play around. Like you yeah. I'll mail it to one person that you read it and you just mail it like a little library exchange. Like, and then you mail it oh to the next gosh. person. Oh, let's set that up. I love that idea. Just sanitize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and also fortunately mail is slow enough. I think that um, the virus will not survive a cross country trip in the mail. Yeah. So, but wash your hands, people, before you put your mail in the mailbox. Yeah. No, that's a really good idea. Okay, I'm gonna think about how we could set this up. Nice. <laughs> so, listeners, our next play for the next month is "Cost of Living" by Martina Mayok. Um, I haven't read it yet. It sounds really good. It won the Pulitzer, I think, in 2018. 2018 I think 2018 okay and yeah so if you have read it or seen it um we want to know your thoughts ideas questions and in about a month we will be back to talk about it yay I'm excited well what do you know about this play I don't know very much at all I picked it because I have it and I haven't read it yet. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I'm going to work through um, all the plays that I have already bought, but haven't yet read. Okay, cool. I've I've never heard of it. So, but uh, I was, yeah, I'm, thank you for saying her last name because I was like, how do you pronounce it? Yeah, I had to look it up. Mayo. It's spelled M A J O K. I think it's a Polish name. Mm. Um, it's pronounced Mayok. Cool. All right, let's move on to glistens. All right, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, folks, listeners, I'm sure you're all feeling stir crazy right now, <laughs> as yeah. I am. Um. So, over this weekend, I worked on a little project, a little plant project. Um, we have, a, in our apartment, we have this, like, a little balcony. It gets some pretty good sunlight. And I had this, like, really cheap Ikea shelf that I found. And it was it was on my, um one of the walls. And I'm like, I, 
I've been wanting to fill that with some plants and I have all these like pots and like little plants here and there, but they, I never like organize and put it all together. So I like, that's what I did over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I'm in love with my little shelf. Like I only want to do it every morning, just like step out and just stare at them. Like they're like my babies. <laughs> just, like, that sounds amazing. Um, I've been, I don't know. I've just been really into what, online people have been calling plant therapy is just yeah I've been trying to fill my life with more plants and it's it's been really helpful um relieving some stress in my life yeah. <laughs> and anxiety it's just like I don't know I think about just looking at a plant like I remember when we were in grad school you were like really into gardening and I was like I don't get Sam like I don't know why she did this <laughs> Her hands are always so dirty. (laughs) I don't get it. I just don't get it. But as I've gotten older, maybe it's like peak danger zone in my life. And I'm like, oh, I see. I see what the the joy there is into a little gardening in your, putting a little gardening in your life. I miss having a garden, especially this time of year. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like there's something so amazing about the spring when you're putting in all these seeds and nothing is coming up yet yeah yeah oh that's such a good glisten well uh you should share a picture of all your plants i'm sure oh, listeners yeah. want to see it will do be on the lookout <laughs> so my glisten is um i discovered this place so as you all know i live in maine and um you probably know i have a dog so i've been trying to find places to walk my dog where i will not get too close to people, um, which fortunately in Maine is pretty easy. But somebody the other day told me about this um, series of trails, a short drive from my apartment called Fristad. And I went there yesterday and it's, so it's this really long, skinny plot of land that was bought by a logging company a few years ago. And they cut down a bunch of trees and then I guess the pulp market um, or the logging market collapsed. And so they just like, they didn't even clean up after themselves. Like they didn't pulp the stumps or anything. They just like left this land in really bad shape and they, they priced it to sell as quickly as possible. So somebody bought it. I don't know who and set it up as this um, kind of off leash dog area um with trails that are all really well marked the trails are pretty rough because they still I mean they're like not um they're not mulched or anything I mean they're pretty kind of lumpy and this time of year I'm very muddy um but there are signs marking all the trails and they all have different names like big oak or whatever (laughs) and um yeah and so I took my dog there and you can let your dog run off leash and there are all these signs saying please don't pick up after your dog (laughs) and please don't yeah please don't pick up your dog yeah I mean after your dog yeah they're they're like (laughs) let it be natural I mean I guess they get so few people there that it's not an issue Mm. um and we were the only ones there and yeah, Fristad means sanctuary in Swedish. So I'm very grateful to whoever made this beautiful place. 
That's interesting. Available. Yeah. That's my lesson. <sighs> I wish there was a sanctuary uh, like this everywhere. I know. <laughs> I know. My heart really goes out to people with dogs in cities because I, I feel so lucky that I can go outside with him and not worry about getting close to people. Yeah. So, well, hang in there, listeners. We're thinking of you all, and um, we would love to hear your questions and thoughts, as always. We are particularly um, sending love to all our theater friends who had to cancel your shows. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. It's rough. <laughs> like, yeah, this past week, my storytelling show got canceled. It was just I know, like, I, know. I was like, well, I was looking forward to this like all month long, preparing and working on it on a story. But you know what? We're going to get through this. There'll be more opportunities to do, put up shows and it's we're going to come back stronger than ever. That's right. That's, yeah. Um, because we're taking this time to write, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And um, listeners, if you haven't yet listened to our episode about theater and pandemics, check it out from last week. All right. See you next time. See ya. I don't know why I said see you like next time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.